0: I don't know about you, but I really needed to be here today. I really needed us to sing that song, Gary. That was a great moment of ministry. I really needed you to share this wonderful things that we do, Donnie, from our benevolence ministry and to see your heart and to see all the great good that is done from that. I really needed to hear our shepherd, Jay Bynum, pray for our world today and to pray for our church. I really needed to see Tucker today share these Bibles with our wonderful children and to get to hug Elizabeth today too. She's here two weeks before wedding and to meet their wonderful friends that are here with them. I really needed that and I think you did too. We don't downplay the difficulties of the life that we have in this world right now. We don't downplay the difficulties that we're experiencing in our world. Whether it's in the Northeast, I have cousins on Long Island. Whether it's in Haiti or Afghanistan or Nigeria or Iraq or... Uh, Venezuela or so many other places in our world that are facing great trials and difficulties today, we pray, because we know that these are people created in the image of God. And with some of them, we share precious faith. And so we, we pray, and in the midst of all of that, still we are here celebrating the most important event in all of human history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what a great thing that is. It's wonderful to be reminded by uh, Donnie of that great passage in Deuteronomy 6, challenging us, commanding us to pass on the faith to our children and to our grandchildren, to tell them the story, to make sure they maintain that connection. And we talked about that in our Bible classes this morning as we uh, talked about what we're doing on Sunday nights and what we hope to do one day on Sunday nights. Uh, to give people the opportunity to study and to minister and to serve in so many different ways. And what a blessing that will be. We're looking forward to this Wednesday night, as Donnie shared, when we're going to have another opportunity to see our young people at work. We'll have a prayer devotional, as we tend to do, a back-to-school prayer night. But this one's going to be a little bit different because we'll be in the Family Life Center. We'll all be together together. And uh, we'll have a lot of our kids involved in that. And they will be reading scriptures and leading singing. We'll have others of our, uh, the men of our congregation involved in various ways as well. And we'll be having several that will be leading prayer. And then following that in the Family Life Center right there, we'll have an Ice Cream Sunday uh, time of fellowship. And that's this Wednesday night at 6.30. And it's, again, another reminder in the midst of a very dark, dark world, That Satan is not in control just yet. That there is still the people of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the Word of God, the Church of God that is at work. And we're a great part of that. Seeing these young people going into uh, important years. I appreciate Donnie Cook and Tucker Sullivan so much putting that together today. And uh, it reminded me of my first pair of not tennis shoes. (laughs) Was in seventh grade and in San Antonio in 1969. (laughs) Um, uh, Seventh grade was the beginning of junior high. And so I get that, how important a transition that was. And I will have to tell you, All of you that are going into uh, junior high or high school, it was in Miss Lofton's 7th grade homeroom English class, section 713, that I met this very cute young girl by the name of Joyce Long. Um, So um, um, take note of who you meet (laughs) during those transition years, young people. Uh, What a great blessing it is to be a part of a church that ministers to all. And that is especially concerned with transferring our faith onto the next generations. What a great blessing it is to be a part of a church that ministers to people in our own immediate community, those who have needs such as clothing, such as food, through our caring kitchen on Monday nights and handing out distributing food on Wednesday mornings. What a great, great blessing it is to be a part of all of that. Um, What a great blessing it is to have so many of our members here today and so many others that are online, that are worshiping with us, that are a part of our church family. And uh, we are excited about our Welcome Home Sunday that's going to be September 19th. It's going to be a time of welcoming uh, Mr. and Mrs. Tucker Sullivan back with us after their wedding and and honeymoon, but also a time of, of reaching out to each other to be here and to celebrate God's good blessings, to do this, all of these things, as safely as possible. And we want to remember that. And we want to urge those of our of our members who are still concerned about this virus that is very real. We heard about more of our families today, just this morning, uh, that have tested positive. We, we want you to know that we're concerned for you and And we appreciate you keeping that connection and our prayerful. But for those who are ready to come home, for those who are ready to be here in person, we have Welcome Home Sunday on September 19th. And you'll be hearing a lot more about that in the weeks ahead. We have this wonderful seminar coming up in October uh, to help us all be able to answer the questions of our friends and neighbors and family members about why... Why do we believe that God exists? Why do we believe that this is the word of God? Why is that a credible thing to do? And we'll have Kyle Butt with us from Apologetics Press who will be with us that weekend. And we're sending out uh, 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 brochures into the community already. We'll have some here available for you in the weeks ahead to be able to lead up to that incredible seminar that's so very, very important, October 23rd and 20. Forth, what a blessing to be a part of a church that takes the call of God seriously. That doesn't say, well, you know, the world's tough. It's it's, it's a bad time right now. So I don't know that we can do this. But we don't ask God whether or not he wants us to do it. (laughs) We ask God how, in the midst of this difficult time, can we do it? How should we do it? How must we do it? What a blessing it is to know that Jesus still is the head of his church. And that whatever the future holds, we're called upon today to be the salt of this earth and the light of this world. And what a blessing it is to be able to share that story of Jesus. You know, one thing about churches, churches have flaws For some of you, that may come as a big surprise that even West Irwin has flaws. Okay, for none of you. But churches have flaws. Why? Because churches are human institutions. They're made up of people. Yes, Jesus is the head of the church, but we are the members of the body, and that's where the problem is. (laughs) But it's a problem that Jesus owns 100%, and it's a problem that we own as well. And help each other and work together to be that salt and that light. Churches have flaws. Only the Savior is perfect. And long after his ascension, Jesus sends letters to churches. Not the chicken place. (laughs) Jesus sends letters to churches. Of course, you know that I'm referring to the book of Revelation And in Revelation chapter 1, we see this incredible start to this book and this incredible vision of Jesus Christ beginning in verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are, that are ours in Christ Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was in exile. He was the only of the apostles, as best we can tell, that died of natural causes. And yet that's even got an asterisk because he died of natural causes while in exile on a remote island because of his faith. Verse 10, on the Lord's day I was in the Spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his his chest. And then he goes on and describes this powerful image that he saw that was bringing that voice to him. When I saw him, verse 17, I fell at his feet as though dead. I totally get that. Right there with you, Brother John. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. Now verses 19 and 20. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Today isn't a lesson on Revelation. We're not going to spend any time talking about apocalyptic. I would love to do that with you if you would like sometime. But today we're focusing on Jesus and the seven churches. And he tells John, I've got something to tell him, and I want you to write it down. And send it to them. And that happens in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. Not to the church. And I think that's significant. Jesus doesn't tell John, write a letter to the church. He tells him, write a letter to these seven churches. Represented in John's vision as lampstands, churches that are in the midst of the difficulties of their time and place, just like we are. All churches, including West Irwin, can identify and find applications for ourselves in the words of our Lord to the churches. Jesus acknowledges in that very act that churches are in specific times and specific places and specific world events. And specific situations. It's not just one letter overall to the church, although that would have been very appropriate, but it is letters to the churches. And each of these seven churches have similar messages and yet different messages. Each of the letters follows a similar outline, and it's based on what we read in chapter 1, In those verses, verses 9 through 20, each of the letters follows a similar outline. The first thing is praise or blame. Jesus gives them praise, he gives them blame, or he gives them both. And it's based on these two words, I know. And we go back to chapter 1 and that incredible vision of the one who knows. Jesus saying, I know. I know what you're going through as a church. I know the things you're doing well, and I know the things that you're not doing well. I know. I know what you're facing. I know the difficulties. I know who your enemies are. And I know the good that you're doing. He offers them praise and or blame. And secondly, he gives them instruction or exhortation. This is what you need to do based on what I know you're going through right now. And then third is a promise. Again, going back to what he says in chapter 1, there's a promise that connects that with these specific churches, with us as well. And so today I want us to look at these seven churches very briefly, each one. And we're separating them in three sections. Praise only, rebuke only, and praise and rebuke. And first is this: these two churches that receive only praise from Jesus. Can you imagine, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be like a dream for Jesus to come before us today and say, I don't have anything bad to say about you. And we would immediately look at each other, wait, and say, is he in the right place? (laughs) He's forgotten about our lives, much less everyone else's. And yet there are two churches that Jesus only gives praise to these churches. The first one is Smyrna. In Revelation chapter two, we won't read what Jesus says to every single church, but we are gonna read what he says to a few of them. And this is one of them. To Smyrna in Revelation two beginning in verse eight, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again, I know, your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, and are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. What the Spirit says to the churches the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Be faithful even to the point of death, verse 10 says. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. I will give you the crown of life. And it's very likely that Jesus is not saying here, be faithful all of your life, although he's kind of saying that, but he's specifically saying to these people, be faithful even if your life is taken from you because of your faith. Be faithful to the point of death. Be faithful even if your faith brings about your death. Nothing bad to say about this church. And yet we can contrast that with one we'll read about in just a moment, the church at Laodicea. Because what he says about this church in verse 9 is significant. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. They looked poor the way the world saw them. And Laodicea looked rich. But in the sight of God, it was exactly the opposite for both. A second church that receives only praise is the church at Philadelphia. Or as Fred Mertz would say, Philadelphia. No Lucy fans anymore, I'm getting too old. This is not good, not good. Philadelphia, as you probably know, is a combination word. In the original Greek language, it's the word for brotherly love and the word for brother. Philadelphia. In Revelation 3, verses 7 through 13, we hear of this church and we don't hear anything bad about them. But what Jesus tells them is, hold on to what you have. Revelation 3, verse 11. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. They too... We're in the middle of the synagogue of Satan. The Jewish people in those communities were very antagonistic, violently so, to the church, just as they had been to Jesus Christ. Only two of the seven churches receive only praise. Only one of the seven churches receives rebuke only. And that is the church at Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3. Beginning at verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. One church, rebuke only, that is the church at Laodicea. All of these in that western part of the nation that we would call Turkey today, that Roman province of Asia, Laodicea is one of those. And it's contrasted again with the very first church, the church at Smyrna, who was told, everyone thinks you're poor, but you are rich. And for Laodicea, everyone thinks you're wealthy. You think you're wealthy and you're not. You think you're healthy and you're not. You think you can see, but you're blind. Because you have lost your passion for the Lord. Because you're neither hot nor cold. You make me sick. I will spit you out of my mouth, Jesus says. And yet there's hope. And yet there's promise. In verse 20, I am standing at the door and knocking, Jesus says. Let me in. No matter how bad the situation is, even if there's nothing good going on with them right now, there Jesus is still Knocking on the door, saying, "Let me in. Let me in." The majority of the churches, four of them, receive praise and rebuke. They receive praise and rebuke. First of all, Ephesus, the very first church addressed in Ephesian, in uh, Revelation two verse one, very familiar church to us. Because of Timothy was in Ephesus when he received Paul's letter, very likely. The, the writings to the church at Ephesus, our book of Ephesians. Paul stopping there and having important ministry during his mission journeys. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have lost your first love. The familiar translation says. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Even though they had very great difficulties, even though they had lost their first love, they had not lost that Lampstand, that candlestick was still there. Verse 7 Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Those words haunt us. I am about to spit you out of my mouth. I wish that you were hot or cold. Jesus wants all of our hearts or none of it. That's why the rich young ruler went away sad, because he couldn't give Jesus everything. And that's why Jesus didn't allow him to stay, because he couldn't give Jesus everything. Neither could the church at Laodicea. Neither could the church at Ephesus. They had some good things but they had lost their first love. The next church that receives praise and rebuke is Pergamum, and its story is seen in Revelation 2, verses 12 through 17. And Jesus says this to them in verse 13, You remain true to my name. One of the things I think is significant about these four churches here at the end is that they have... Things that are going well and things that are going not well. And yet Jesus holds on to them. And even the church at Laodicea that had nothing going on well, still he says, let me in. I am knocking to come back in. You remain true to my name. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, Jesus tells them, you remain true to my name. The next church is Thyatira. Its story is in Revelation 2, verses 18 through 29. And what Jesus tells them in verse 19 is this. You are now doing more than you did at first. You still have some issues. There are still some things that you need to work on. But you are now doing more than you did at first. And then finally, the last church we'll look at, the last of the seven is Sardis. And its story is seen in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Can you imagine Jesus calling your church? You are dead. You are a dead church. Verse 2. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. And then the next verse surprises us perhaps as much as any. Verse 4. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. But I will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. He had just said, you think you're alive, but you're dead. And then he says, yet there are a few that are still alive. You see, God doesn't judge churches. God judges individuals. He judges hearts. And even in the midst of a dead church, there were some who were very much alive, who were living out their faith. And just as he had said in chapter 1, I know, I know your heart. And if you feel like you're up against a wall and that there's nobody who understands and that you just keep banging your head against that wall, Jesus knows. He does. He knows. Even in the midst of the dead church at Sardis, there were some that Jesus knew had not soiled their clothes, who were still walking with him, who were still worthy. Wake up, Jesus says. Strengthen what remains. I like this quote from Eugene Peterson's very challenging commentary on Revelation. It's a book about worship called Reverse Thunder. He says this, The churches of the Revelation show us that churches are not Victorian parlors where everything is always picked up and ready for guests. They are messy family rooms. Entering a person's house unexpectedly, we're sometimes met with a barrage of apologies. John does not apologize. Things are out of order, to be sure, but that is what happens to churches that are lived in. They are not showrooms. They are living rooms. And if the persons living in them are sinners, they are going to be clothes scattered about, handprints on the woodwork, and mud on the carpet. For as long as Jesus insists on calling sinners and not the righteous to repentance, and there is no indication as yet that he has changed his policy in that regard, Churches are going to be an embarrassment to the fastidious and an affront to the upright. John sees them simply as lampstands. They are places and locations where the light of Christ is shown. And so let's end for just a moment talking about Jesus and the eighth church. You want to guess which one that is? He addresses letters to seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, I want us to talk for just a moment as we close about Jesus and the eighth church. What would be in Jesus' letter to the West Erwin church? What would he write to us? I would imagine we would be in that last group, the praise and rebuke, group, I imagine that West Irwin would receive praise from the Lord as well as rebuke and instruction on how we can more faithfully serve him. He would commend us for passing along the faith to our children and to our grandchildren, for helping the poor and doing the best that we can to minister to each other, to our community, and and to the world in such a difficult time as we have. He would commend us, I believe, for seeking the best we can to share the love and word of Christ with each other first, with this community around us, and as far as the opportunity will take us. Just like the seven churches Jesus wrote to in the first century, West Irwin will continue to be a lampstand, a faithful though imperfect lampstand, bringing the light of Jesus to a dark and struggling world. Like all the churches, Jesus knows us. (laughs) He knows all about us. He challenges us to greater trust and faithfulness, just like he did those seven churches. And he promises us that he will bless us and that trusting in the Savior, we too will receive that crown of life. As you know, Revelation ends with that marvelous city of Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And Jesus had looked ahead to that during his lifetime in John 14 when he said, In my Father's house there are many mansions. I'm going to prepare one for you. And if I go, I'll come back. And I'll bring you to be with me. And we'll always, forever be together. If we can help you come to this Jesus... Come as we stand, sing this great song together. I'm satisfied with-